Tommy Pham may be auditioning for the Slap Fight Tournament, but the Cincinnati Reds are busy turning things around. Why Pham may actually be that guy, and how the Reds have turned into that 74-win team that we keep telling you they'll be at the end of the season, is all on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds. Your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds. And we have taken that passion and we have turned it into information for you. On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about Tommy Pham and the impact, no pun intended, of his antics on the Reds this weekend. We're also going to review the series that the Reds just won against the San Francisco Giants and also get you set for a quick two-game series out at Fenway Park in Boston. But Jeff, let's start with Tommy Pham because in one of the more absurd years in Reds history, well, it just got another slap to the face. (laughs) Yes, it did, Steve. I tell you what, this story has gone like viral, national, and it's just another one of those things that you're like, oh, seriously, this, this is what's going. I mean, we've got a no hitter that the Reds lost. We've now got a uh, dude slapping a dude before the game. And I even saw, and I don't know, I mean, maybe somebody made this footage. I don't know. Maybe it really was real footage, but supposedly somebody had cell phone video of it. And it was a pretty, I mean, there was a windup to it. I was a little, I was kind of wondering, I'm like, is is he pitching from the windup in this slap or is it more of a stretch, you know, from the stretch? But he was kind of, you know, he was down here in his pocket and just bam. Came over the top on him. I was like, what are you doing you know, there, Tommy? It just, it makes me wonder, you know, how bad was this fantasy football trade <laughs> offer that was made that results in a slap to the face nine months later? I'll tell you this much. It tells me that, Jeff, you should never play fantasy football with Tommy Fan because <laughs> I've seen how you run a fantasy football team and you end up getting like a kick to the groin or something much worse than a slap to the face if, if that's all it takes because as Tommy fam will tell you you can't be messing with his money I just I I want to know because I mean did like Jack Peterson offer him Baker Mayfield for Joe Burrow I mean obviously that's a terrible that's worth a slap in the face right there if you're at I don't know I just I I'm, I don't know because I played fantasy football for a very long time and I've never wanted to hit another grown man because of something in fan, I've wanted to laugh really hard. I've wanted to like laugh really hard in the person's face whenever they give me a terrible trade offer. But then you find out too that it's about a guy, it's about a, a hurt player who's on the injured list that he's keeping on his bench. And so he's like, he's, he's mad because he's stashing a hurt player. Well, in fantasy football, kind of, you know, circles and stuff like that we all say okay well you're killing your own bench by holding a hurt player there that you can't play i i don't know i i think it's very strange and then you add in the fact 
that yes, okay, this is about fantasy football, which in and of itself is pretty absurd. But no, after- it's completely absurd. It is not pretty <laughs> absurd. It is wholly and completely absurd. It really, I mean, it's it's crazy. And then you add in the fact that when they talk to Tommy Fam after the fact, they ask him about how it goes down. He doesn't deny it, which that's cool. You know, at least he owns up to the ridiculousness of this. But he adds in the fact that Jock Peterson was talking trash about the Padres. I don't know. I, 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 it sounds like he's defending the other team that he's no longer on, that's, and he plays. I what? That's exactly it. And this is the point in the conversation where I go from having a laugh to being a little bit pissed off because (laughs) what Tommy Pham has done is in air quotes, defending the honor of the San Diego Padres (laughs) because I don't know that like nine months later, their feelings are still hurt. Whatever. What he did was he prioritized a team that didn't want to sign him back that he no longer plays for, and he prioritized defending their honor to the detriment of the team that is paying him to be on the field and perform. And this is a Reds team that can't afford to have these kind of antics floating around. This team can barely stay focused on what it needs to do right now without any of the extracurriculars. So for Tommy Pham to go out there and be this juvenile, this childish, and put some other random event for a team he no longer plays for ahead of the current guys that he's out there battling with. You know, if the Reds didn't need him so bad right now, if there weren't so many players on the injured list, it would not hurt my feelings if he never set foot on the field again. Send him down the road if he's going to be a big baby like this. (laughs) I tell you, it's just so crazy. And then there's also the fact that we got to talk a little bit about Albert Elmore, and I think he's going to come up here in a few minutes as well. But uh, just the way that Tommy Pham has reacted to all of this. I mean, okay, it, you don't deny things, but then bringing up the Padres, I don't know if Tommy Pham was there whenever he almost hit for the cycle in San Diego, but Padres fans were booing him. Like, did bringing up the Padres think that he was going to get the sympathy bet from the Padres fans? He's playing for the Reds. Why on earth is he invoking the name of another team here? This is like that scene in the office whenever Kevin asks Karen, are you, uh, how do you feel about another man hitting your boyfriend? Who's Jim, by the way, in case you haven't watched the office over kissing another woman. Because, I mean, come on, this is, you know, just ridiculous. The fact that he has to bring up the Padres in this, like the, the fact that you slapped a dude, and he, he said, the way that he said it, too, he's just like, yeah, you know what this is about, right? Yeah. And then he slaps him. And it's like, oh, my you God. You know, to yeah, keep you're it. You're right. I don't want to play fantasy football with Tommy. With Tommy no, no, no. And to keep it on the fantasy football theme, I'll just tell you straight out that what Tommy Pham did the other day on the field feels very Antonio Brown. That's, <laughs> that's what it feels yeah. like. And I don't want Antonio Brown to be a Bengal. And I would be quite content with Tommy Pham not being a red if this is how he's going to act. I tell you, though, this this has to make you wonder, because as much as this perpetuated the country, I mean, you know, Matthew Barry, lead fantasy analyst for ESPN, was talking about this story. You're talking about the Reds because of this story. Does this hurt his trade value? I get it. You know, we don't want him here, but how many other teams are really happy about that? Do the Padres want him back? Like, is that what he's saying? He's like, Padres, take me back here. What are you doing? 
chasing a pennant makes people do some crazy things. If <laughs> if he's if he's still performing and is not suspended at the moment, and the Reds get a good offer for him, send him down the road because clearly he's volatile and can't keep it together. So at some point in time, another blow up is coming. I think that we've seen that at this point. I trade him. And this was pre this was pre game. Everybody's warming up. This is before fans were there. It was just I it was so so uncalled for and I feel like the oldest dude in the world saying that but here we are I uh, yeah I uh, <laughs> I think I'm off Tommy fam I was saying that I really like Tommy fam and I like the whole mantra yeah sure he wants to get his but if he gets his the Reds are going to get theirs now I'm not so sure that I want Tommy fam getting his because I'm not sure that that's going to include slapping more people but that makes me think because the slap heard round the baseball world actually distracted from the Reds playing some good baseball, Steve, over the weekend. We're going to tell you why the Reds look like they are going to win 74 games because they showed a lot of good stuff there. More on that after you get more info on your next sports wager from Bet Online. In fact, today, the Reds are in Fenway, and we're going to break that series down in a few moments as well. They're plus 130 on the money line. Luis Castillo's on the mound, and Michael Waka, a man who has seen the Reds quite a bit in his career, is on the mound as well for the Red Sox. And Bet Online knows how much Michael Waka's seen the Reds. The Reds are underdogs at plus 130 to win the ballgame. If you want to check that out, there's a lot more info and a lot more lines, props, odds, and scores at Bet Online. It's because it's the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all of your Major League Baseball props, odds, and lines and info. Plus, you can find stuff on the NBA Finals that are starting here in a few days. You've got the Stanley Cup playoffs that rage on as the New York Rangers absolutely destroyed the Hurricanes in Game 7 there to move on to the next round. Plus, you've got fights like UFC and boxing. And even when Jake Paul decides to do stuff, they have that at bet online as well. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to the playoffs. Like I mentioned, esports and more head to the website today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online is where the game starts. Thanks for making lockdown reds. Your first listen of the day. Now make or not now, keep listening. After you're done listening to us, make Locked On Now your next listen because Locked On Now takes you through the Major League Baseball season like no other podcast because it recaps every single game with local analysis in under 30 minutes. That's Locked On Now, just like Locked On Reds, free and available wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're following Locked On Reds on all your favorite platforms. You can follow us on YouTube as well. If this is your first time watching us, make sure you follow us because we got a lot of great stuff for you right here on YouTube that you won't catch on your favorite podcasting app. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to look at the future. We're going to get our crystal balls out, Steve, and predict which current Reds will be here in 2024. I don't know why I went on country saying the word crystal balls there, but yeah, that just happened. Uh, (laughs) We won't use the crystal balls right now. Uh, We'll look back on this weekend though, because this team looks like it's going to hit the over. 
I really believe that. And they continue to show that because since May 5th, they've looked pretty good. 13-9 and nine over that stretch, Jeff. They've been playing some really decent baseball. It's not world-beating baseball, but it's a whole lot better than the way this season started. And what it tells me is that we were on the right track all along when we said, as help comes back, as players get more comfortable, and as the rookies get experience, this will be an improved Reds team. Not going to go to the playoffs, not going to win the division, but I agree with you. I think we can still get those 74 wins, especially since there's still more help coming. There are still more players to come back off of this injured list moving forward. They're going to help boost this team and get more wins. I agree. And you're looking at some huge reasons as to why they were improved. And I start with the pitching because in that 3-22 and stretch leading into May 5th, one of the biggest bugaboos, and we talked about it last week, was starting pitching with an ERA of over 6.6. But if you look at this weekend series, you got some phenomenal starts from Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley. Ah, no. Although Tyler Malley did pitch really well on Sunday. No, you got really good starts from Graham Ashcraft and Vladimir Gutierrez. Who saw that coming? I, I love the fact. I mean, Graham Ashcraft is here to stay. And we said it whenever they sent him back to AAA. It was like, okay, yeah, he's probably got a five-day rest and he'll be right back up because dude deserves it after that first start. Looking so nice after that six and a third against the San Francisco Giants on Friday because that was beautiful. I really... I really liked what we saw out of Graham Ashcraft. I think that he has definitely earned the opportunity to continue pitching at the big league level, and let's see what he does. Uh, talking about your guy, you know, Bad Vlad, uh, I think it might be too little. Too, <laughs> no, no, no. It might be too little too late, Jeff. I mean, it, you know, the, the, the thing with the Reds is not only do we have to decide – you know, do we want to continue to see Vladimir Gutierrez or do we want to see Graham Ashcraft? Because Mike Miner is going to be joining this rotation and they're going to have to make room for him. And at some point in time, Nick Lodolo is also going to be rejoining this rotation. So you have to ask yourself, which of these young arms do you want to keep around? Uh, I heard some speculation that was interesting about the Reds maybe going to Gutierrez and asking him, do you want to be a bullpen arm here or do you want to go down to Louisville and continue to be a starter? And I am almost of a mind to not. Uh, give him any say in that matter. I think right now this Reds bullpen needs him. And if somewhere along the way they decide that they can afford to send him down and let him work on being a starter some more, then you do that. But right now I think Vlad to the bullpen, I think he'd be an effective arm out of there and be able to give you multiple innings at a time. I think that that's what this team needs to do to get us to 74 because that's what it's all about, Jeff. We need to get to 74. So for me, um, I, I hope that that's what David Bell does. And, you know, I, I think think some other things we learned this weekend is no matter what David Bell does, he's the bad guy and it's wrong. So I, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you've seen some of this stuff, but man, David Bell cannot catch a break. What does he have to do? Like, okay, I, don't get me wrong. I didn't really like that idea of taking Jeff Hoffman out. I thought he could have actually finished the eighth inning there. And then of course everything blows up in his face, but I think David Bell's done a pretty good job here. I, I think that, you know, especially during that stretch that we talked about of 13 and 9, you got to point the finger at David Bell and say, look, he has done some good stuff. 
because he continues to be given a lot of pieces that you really wouldn't build a championship baseball team around. And they're saying, hey, go win ball games with these guys. And he's winning some ball games here. I think it's hilarious, though, because some of the tweets that I saw after the Reds lost on Sunday, yes, people were frustrated with that loss. But there's lots of people that are just like, I'm done with David Bell. That's what made you done with David Bell? That game? <laughs> Let me let in a little secret here. He's been around for a few years now, and he's been doing that kind of crap ever since he got here, and he got an extension after doing some of that crap. So he's done enough of the other good crap on top of that crap that makes it look a lot less crappy. Wow. Um, there was a lot to unpack there. Um, no, listen, <laughs> Jeff, here's the thing. Uh, we've talked about, uh, and, and recently we've talked about this, some of um, the strategy shortcomings that David Bell has exhibited uh, yeah. as he's done things throughout the season. There's areas that he can still improve, that he needs to get better, uh, and I think that he will, over time, continue to learn and do things a little bit better. I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen Carr family favorite Jeff Hoffman finish out that eighth inning, and uh, I'll be glad when your jersey arrives. I know you've got it on order. <laughs> so I hope that, you know, David Bell learns from those kind of mistakes. Ultimately, he got handed a very, very bad baseball team to start the season, and it got worse with the injuries. And I just, there's been many times that people have criticized Bell, and my retort is always, what would you have done differently with the roster that he has available to him today? What would you yeah. have done differently? And nobody ever has an answer to that question. You know, if you want to be mad, be mad at the Castellinis. If you want to be mad, be mad at Nick Crawl. But David Bell has to take this team of 26 guys that's handed to him and somehow managed to put the pieces together so that it resembles a Major League Baseball team that takes the field. Can't always be done. And as players come back from the injured list, it will get easier. But I, you know, if I had to, if I had to evaluate how David Bell has handled this season thus far, given the, as you eloquently say, the crap sandwich that he was handed right out of the gate, I give him a solid B. For the way he's handled this team, given the circumstances that he's had to face so far in 2022. I'd agree. And to be honest with you, I don't see any other manager in Major League Baseball making this team better. It's not a manager's game. It's a player's game. You have to build a roster that's going to win ball games. I don't care if you're Joe Madden. I don't care if the second coming of Earl Weaver gets in here and starts managing the Reds. They're not going to win more ball games. And and Sparky Anderson always talked about that. You know, everybody talked about how he's the greatest manager in Reds history. He's just like, it's because I had the greatest players in Reds history. Like, obviously. If you put David Bell on the big red machine, I bet they still win all those championships. I don't think he's taking that away. I, I still have legitimate questions about David Bell as to whether he can manage this team when it needs to be good, but you're not putting a different manager in the seat and getting better results. It's just not happening because we can talk about all of the different metaphors that we want, whether it's crap sandwiches or square peg round hole, or he's trying to build a Lego set with Lincoln logs. All of it adds up to this, this just confounding team that as much as we want them to be good, they're really mediocre. And I think really mediocre is kind of the season that they've got this year. But hey, really mediocre can still win you 74 games. 
That's true. And you mentioned Sparky saying that he had some of the greatest players. And let's talk about great players for just a minute, because I think we should probably find who was the most valuable player of this giant series that really did not go the direction that I expected it to go when I looked at it on paper uh, before they played these games. I, I did not I did not see the Reds winning this series. And, you know, it really worked out well for the Reds. So I think we need to find the most valuable player in that. You know, is that Albert Almora? Is that Kyle Farmer? Is that Jeff Hoffman? Uh, I'm not sure who you're going to go with there. But I think, reluctantly, uh, I'm going to go with everybody's favorite shortstop, the one and only Kyle Farmer. Farmer had a good series. And I'll be honest with you, there were a lot of guys. I, I chalked that Carlos Rodon start up to an easy L. Like, I really thought mm -hmm. the Reds were going to get ran over in that game, and they hit Radun, and mm -hmm. Graham Ashcraft pitched a gym. So I was really happy to see how that went. And I also, I mean, it's hard to say that a pitcher who only pitched in one game is worth nominating. I would I would talk about Ashcraft for a moment, just the way that he was able to match Radun and really out-pitch. I mean, Carlos Radun was one of the best pitchers over the last five years in Chicago. And he's continued that here in San Francisco. He's had a pretty decent season, but the Reds did just enough. This series was full of just enough. They had just enough pitching, just enough hitting, and they got it from Kyle Farmer. I think that that is a solid choice. I really liked Albert Almora, although I thought his best game was in the loss, but his game on Sunday really had me wondering, you know, when they trade Tommy Pham, I think that Albert Almora is a solid fill-in there. I'm not saying that he's the left fielder of the future, but the way that he has played, you love his glove out there in left field. He's a very solid fielder and a pretty good base runner. If his bat can come along, which so far it has, then that's the kind of guy that's going to bridge the gap there in left field. So I think it's between Kyle Farmer and Albert Almora. I think just for... Uh, you know, to be contrary, I'll say Albert Almora. Well, that's good, too, because that's that's good news for Jose Barrero, uh, who is, by the way, <laughs> knocking the cover off the ball in Louisville and needs to be in the big league team Get him up. sooner. Get him up. Exactly. Get him up. But listen, Jeff, uh, the Reds are going to head to historic Fenway Park in Boston for a two game set against the Red Sox, which always gives us the fun opportunity to remind some of the old timers over there that the Red Sox lost game seven of the 1975 World Series. They always <laughs> forget it. They always think that it ends with Pudge Fisk doing this thing down the line. They lost game seven and it's always fun to remind them of that. Uh, but coming up, Jeff, you and I are going to have to, to get everyone set for this quick two game series out at Fenway Park. But first, make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three F's. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. Uh, that's with the normal two F spelling. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds, which of course has no F's in it at all. Uh, you can also follow the show on YouTube. If you have not clicked that subscribe button, head over there and do so. Lots of great exclusive YouTube content coming to you all season long. I think Jeff's going to be up next with uh, his little special segment. Uh, I debuted uh, the lefty in the bullpen. I wanted to again shout out John Sadak for recording the intro to that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, if you haven't listened to 
it yet, head over to YouTube, look in our archives. It's the Lefty in the Bullpen. Great interview with Spencer Stockton, who got promoted from Dayton after doing an interview with us. We are the opposite of the Madden curse around here at Locked on Reds. Let me tell you what. Uh, but let's get into this series, Jeff, coming up at Fenway Park with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, first of all, if you've never been to Fenway Park, what a great venue to see a baseball game. I got a chance to go out there a few years back and really just enjoyed it. The history and just being in that park that has been around for so long. It's going to be great baseball. It's going to be fun to watch. It's going to have an old-timey feel. And I hope the Reds go in there and manage to steal a little two-game sweep, Jeff, but I feel like maybe it's not going to go that way. Boston comes into this series 23 and 26, three games under 500. The Reds, you know, 16 and 31, but playing a lot better baseball than when this season started. So, you know, I think while if you look at it on paper, especially the first game, uh, the matchups tell you that it's probably a win for the Red Sox. I think the Reds could somehow maybe kind of finagle their way into stealing a two-game sweep, but this looks more like a split for me, I think. Yeah, the Reds definitely have some good guys on the mound when you're talking about Luis Castillo and Hunter Green, but I find it interesting. I tease this a little bit whenever we're talking about bet online that Michael Waka who it seems like ever since he left the Cardinals has pitched for like nine other teams, but he is going to face the Reds for the 24th time in his career. In fact, he has never pitched more against any other single opponent than he has against the Reds. He has 121 and two thirds innings against the Reds. And this game has me thinking because Waka has been good so far this year. Now his FIP says he's getting a little lucky with the 2.8 ERA, but in his 121 and two thirds career innings against the Reds, he has a 2.8 ERA. And in fact, as much as we love to say that wins and losses when it comes to a singular pitcher shouldn't matter at all, he has 12 wins to two losses against the Reds. Now, a lot of that has to do with some really good Cardinals teams that he pitched for, but still, that's worth noting. He has nowhere near that many wins against any other team. And listen, this is not the case of a pitcher that doesn't pitch well against everybody else and suddenly turns it on against the Reds. I mean, if you look at what he's doing right now this season, you know, again, wins and losses. We, we, we've we talked about how we feel about that. But just a quick, dirty look at what's listed. He is 3-0 and with a 2.63 ERA coming into this game. So he's pitched well this season. So you take that into account, and they're at home. It's in Boston. Luis Castillo, I think, is still kind of trying to find his groove. I, I don't like how this one shakes out. I think if I was forced to pick in this game, I would pick Boston getting out of there with a, a couple run victory in, in game one of this series. Yeah, the middle of the lineup is just going to be such a murderer's row against Luis Castillo, I think, here in this game. I, I, I like to think that they're going to get the win in game one. Hunter Green is going to be interesting because we have seen that he can be really, really freaking good and he can be really, really freaking bad batter to batter. Like, mm -hmm. striking out dudes, making them look silly, and then the next dude just clabbers one. I mean, we might see a green monster homer off of a uh, Hunter Green fastball in this one. He's really got to put some movement on it. I've noticed that it's kind of been flat, uh, and it's not really moving around. So that velocity, once guys time it up, it just turns into an easy BP homer. So I want to see him maybe mix in a couple of things here. But when I look at game two, I really like to see if the Reds can get up on the uh, Red Sox pitcher with Steve. Uh, give us a little bit on uh, this Red Sox pitcher. So Whitlock comes into this game. And again, the Boston rotation really looks pretty decent. This is not a collection of, 
you know, of retreads. You know, Whitlock comes into this game one and one with a 3.49 ERA. Now, again, we're just looking at the at the big stats that everybody is familiar with. But you know, uh, typically American League pitchers you know, before the, they balance the league with the universal designated hitter, you know, the American League ERA was always a little bit higher. But these Boston pitchers are putting up great numbers. So you know, what I think in game two is you just have to go with your gut. The the numbers don't tell me that the Reds are going to win this game. They're just going to take it. But what I think I predict that this is good Hunter Green Day, that he's going to come in there and and enjoy the moment of being in one of the most historic parks in all of baseball. And he's going to uh, he's going to put these Boston fans in a bad mood so they can't sing Sweet Caroline. Bump, bump, bump. He's going to take it. So I, I'm predicting a series split. I think the Reds win game two. I think Hunter Green's going to give six solid innings and he's not going to allow a home run in Fenway Park. That is my prediction on the day. You know what? I think I'm going to say they sweep. I really am. I got a good feeling about this because they're playing better here lately. They should have swept the Giants. I really thought that, you know, they were a couple of pitches away in that game. I I don't know what the, there's that weird MO about a inning. I know that momentum is not a thing. Momentum's like a thing in football. It's not as much of a thing as it is in baseball. But when you're talking about a singular half inning, it definitely is. And there was some kind of weird juju that got into the Reds' bullpen, and they just could not get anybody out there in the top of the eighth. And I I think that they're going to calm down there. I think that this bullpen gets it together. I think the Reds continue to pitch well in Fenway uh, for these two games, and I think they end up getting both wins. Oh, well, you know, um, that will not hurt my feelings. I could be on board with that. And, you know, the nice thing is the Reds have this quick little two-game series in Boston. Then they turn right around, come back to Great American Ballpark. So if if your logic holds, you know, we come off of a series win against Giants that I didn't think was going to happen. Then they would go into Boston with a sweep that I didn't think was going to happen. And, you know, come back with, as you say, a little bit of momentum. So uh, this team, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, is going to get us to our 74 wins, Jeffrey. I firmly believe that. And, hey, we got the uh, Mike Miner debut coming up this Friday. So, yes, let's end it on that note. This feels like a good spot to end. Thank you so much for listening to today's edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Now make your second listen, Locked On MLB. Sully will have you covered with all things Major League Baseball past and present. He uses that crazy humor of his and his crazy unique perspective on all things baseball to bring you a look around the league each and every day. That's Locked On MLB, just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. Again, tomorrow we are going to look into the future as we see which Reds currently on the roster will be here in 2024. And I'm sure that we will just write all this stuff down and keep it all on notebooks and, and really scrutinize ourselves here in two years. Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow because when it comes to everything Reds baseball, Steve, what are we? We are locked on Reds every single day. Talk to you guys tomorrow.